we got the NFL saying it's okay to kneel. All these sports organizations with the BLM tag around on the jerseys, around the players' arms, and, and honestly, I'm like, you're too late. Like, why should I trust that this isn't about an opportunity for you versus it being an opportunity for us? Like, now we got the whole world listening, but people are making money off of it. What's good, y'all? This is Thorn on My Side, and I'm your host, Asa Featherstone the Fourth. And I'm hyped about today's episode. Shoot. The first reason being is that we recorded this in person. So maybe you'll be able to tell a difference. I don't know. Maybe it's just some of my technical, you know, nerds out there, but I feel good about it. <laughs> Socially distanced, of course. I had hand sanitizer in the room. We were six feet apart. I know what I'm doing, y'all. The second reason being is that today I'm speaking with Don Peebles. He's just an all-around, just great human being who thinks about the community first. He's an entrepreneur who runs an organization called Brick Gardens, which uh, teaches underserved communities about growing their own food. And we talk a little bit about the organs of that and how, what that's been like, the struggles he's had as a business owner. He's also from Louisville, so we talk a lot about the Breonna Taylor case and what his perception is of that being that everything went down in his hometown. And we even talk a little bit about being an athlete and how that can be a buffer to racism. Temporarily, of course. Oh, one thing to note, again, we recorded this right before the election results came in. So just keep that in mind as you hear some of the things we're talking about. Other than that, I don't have much else to add. Uh, again, thank y'all for listening. I hope y'all enjoy this one. Let's jump right in. So, Dom. Yep. What's going on, man? It's good to see Same you. Same stuff, man. Different day. <laughs> Lots of adventures this year, for sure. Yeah. I uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, the first thing I kind of want to do before we jump in, jump in, is just, like, see how you holding up. How you been doing, man? It's been, uh, it's, it's been a minute since we last connected. Right. It's been an interesting year. What's going on with you, man? Just first and foremost, trying to stay healthy, you know, and worrying about my family doing the same thing. So that is the first thing at the top of my mind every morning. Um, other than that, it's, you know, try to keep a job, right? So this, this I can imagine, was a year of, of a lot of truth telling for a lot of entrepreneurs like myself, right? It's like, you know, 2019, I mean, I was able to just kind of dream um, unrealistically. And, and I think the universe had a way of kind of slowing me and everyone else down to say, hey, you know, double check some of these dreams, gotta, <laughs> right. some of these plans you're making, because, you know, nothing's promised to us. And I think that's that's the other part of, you know, what everybody's dealing with is just trying to kind of first wake up, stay healthy, and then try to reinvent ourselves to to get through this crazy 2020 years so uh, i mean it's been a struggle but at the same time I, I still have a job to get up and go to so there's a lot to be thankful for but every day you're counting like is this the day or you know but it, it's crazy so I, I can only imagine how people that have been entrepreneurs longer than myself must be feeling right now but it is what it is right so as an um, entrepreneur, like what types of like, t- 
talk about a little bit what is it that you were kind of looking forward to in the last year? What kind of things were you developing? And then kind of what happened after that? Right. So, you know, as you know, I, I'm a farming entrepreneur, which you, you don't hear a lot of people decide to start their own business and it revolves around farming, right? But, you know, this year, Brick Gardens had a, a lot of plans. You know, we were raising money at the end of last year. We started this year in a few business accelerators to try to kind of really focus in on our product and our customer base. And the plan with that was to just go into 2020 raising money and and establishing a lot of the programs and, and foundations that we were setting up in other neighborhoods. So, you know, that things were going good from around November to probably February. Right. Um, and then you kind of slowly started to get the news that, you know, this is not something that's going to go away real quick. So, you know, naively, you know, I I sat and thought, okay, this is another one of those things that's just going to pass by. And I I kept treating my days as the same. So, you know, and then kind of in March, the the lights fell out. And then all that money we were raising and the people that were interested in helping Brick Gardens expand, that all dried up within two weeks. Mm. So then it was a big mad dash to try to figure out, okay, well, you know, if we're coming out of the house, what's the most effective way to keep this business going and try to keep myself and my partners healthy? So it's it's just something that I don't think anyone anywhere would have ever been able to prepare for. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's taught us a lot, right? So it, it definitely slowed things down and let us know, you know, where our focus should remain. Right, because you know, business is business. But one thing this pandemic did was definitely show the world how broken our food system is. So, in a sense, that's almost like an underlying blessing that now people are actually paying attention. That you know, there's people out there that were starving and weren't able to find food or work well before this pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's just one of those things. Right. I mean, I think that the, the pandemic as a whole, like, yeah, I mean, you, you, you said it like it's it just forced us to just chill out because right. I think you're right. Like a lot of us, um, even myself included, like we were all all on the go. 2019, we were like we're everybody's pushing. We're just going super fast. We're not we're not looking back. We're like, this is about to be the best time ever. We're about to potentially get this president out in a year right. or so from now um but then everything halted and it made us just like it made us it, it, it was a reality check essentially it was like yo whatever dreams y'all thought was about to happen like y- y'all aren't in, in control as much as y'all thought y'all were right and the interesting thing about that is that you know for people like you and i i don't think we ever truly feel like we're in control i think this was something that let the whole world know just how little control we all have, right? It also, in my opinion, brought a lot of people down to the level and to the experiences that we've had to experience our entire lives just because of the way we look. So, you know, again, it's there's all these little things that, you know, when you're locked in the house for two or three months and you're just constantly thinking about what's next or what was and things like that, it definitely gives you time to sit and put things into perspective. Like, 
you know, people on social media were going crazy. They're still going crazy. Or I can't go to work. Or, right. you know, I can't do this. And it's like, you know, we've had those problems <laughs> forever. So at the beginning where everybody was like, oh, I can't believe we're locked in the house. Or I can't believe I can't go to work. I'm sitting there like, okay, this is, I'm okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've, I've been here before. I've wondered where my money was going to come from or where my, you know, next paycheck or food was coming from. So for me, it was like, well, at least we've had practice for this. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're equipped for it. And so I, I think that's, that's interesting. I think um, it's funny that you say that because now it makes me think like the, the only reason that, not the only, but like a, a big contributor to the reason that this is such a big deal is because um, the majority now has felt it and they have, <laughs> they have since now it's, they're living through it now. It's all of a sudden. It's like it's the most important thing to to yeah. kind of to kind of deal with. Kind of like a lot of things in life. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and not to say that one group deserves it less or more than the other, but I mean, you know, it's it. This year has just really shed a light on all of the inequities, right? Like. You know, we were already struggling to find food. We don't have grocery stores in our neighborhood. Then they shut public transit down. So now we can't even get on the bus to go get to the next neighborhood to get food, right? So again, you know, when other demographics had to start dealing with this, you know, everybody's up in arms like, oh, well, governor needs to do this or governor needs to do that. Mm -hmm. It's the same with the heroin and all that stuff. It's like, I live in Northern Kentucky and I've seen so many signs that say Northern Kentucky hates heroin. <laughs> I mean, is it is just now? Yeah. Like just right. now hating heroin, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you, you, you can see me and I'm smiling, but it's not, it's, it's, it's kind of that smile like it's comical. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I'm almost at a point where it was like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. As yeah. long as me and my family are okay, I don't care about how this pandemic is affecting certain demographics. I don't care how, you know, drug epidemics are affecting certain people. It's just one of those things where it's like it's comical to me that now there's so much attention being paid to it. And it, it just opens your eyes to how uneven our society is, right? So, yeah, Yeah, that's, I mean, that's real. And then, I mean, another thing, too, like uh, kind of like a, Another way to look at it is that, like, that there could also be a benefit, too. So because of the fact that this stuff was all, always going on and prior to this moment where we were forced to sit still, like, we didn't have a moment to look around and see how other people were, you know, like, whatever cards that they were getting dealt with. Like, we, we weren't only focused on, like, how we were going to move forward. And so, like, we always saw problems like heroin and um, in excess to food and things of that nature as like somebody else's problem. Right. And so now like a good way, to, you know, a potential way to look at it is like, oh, now we have a moment to sit and look around and see like, oh, this is worse than we thought. And like, we kind of right. have to be active and put the, you know, the billboards and the cheesy stuff up to kind of get right. get people on notice. But, you know, but there's like, that's, you know, that's kind of like a um, a way to praise that as a result. But, you know, you you're 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 more right than you. <laughs> so before we we switch gears too much, I want you to explain what it is that 
that you're building and what Brick Gardens is. Because I have a, a decent idea, and I explain it to people the best that I can, but it's best when you say it. So I want you to tell me what it is that, that Brick Gardens is doing right now. Right. So, you know, initially Brick Gardens was started as a project, and the project was basically to shed ideas on how to feed yourself, right? Um, the importance of being able to grow food and, and the power that that gives a person to be able to say, you know, I know how to grow this and I'm at least going to have that at the very minimum to be able to feed myself and my family. So the project started around converting vacant space, um, primarily building space to do indoor hydroponic farming. The idea around that was to be able to um, grow food indoors all year round in neighborhoods that are considered food deserts as a way to provide food access to that community. Um, in addition to the food access, it also provides the opportunity for education programs, right? The, to be taught how to, to grow food, right? It's, it's the same as teach a man to fish, right? If you know how to grow food, you're always gonna be able to eat. Um, and then the third thing was to be able to provide a job, right? So. If we're converting these buildings or vacant land into producing farms, that allows us to be able to employ people from that neighborhood. So you're creating food access, you're creating economic impact and education. And all of those things we think create a healthy community. So that that's on the surface what Brick Gardens is, but you know, we found very quickly that there's a lot of food deserts in Cincinnati, right? Um, there's food deserts everywhere. There are plenty of unused lots or vacant land around town, and there's the same amount of um, empty building space. So we, we started to think, okay, well, we're not gonna be real effective feeding people a bunch of salads, so, mm -hmm. so how can we add to this, this movement, right? And then how can we keep it from being confused as your typical community garden, right? Because those things pop up everywhere and they, they go away just as quickly as they arrive. Right. So we started searching for buildings that also were accompanied by vacant land. So that would allow us to be able to grow produce indoors all year round. That would also allow us the seasons to be able to grow the core staples that people need, right? Your potatoes, tomatoes, onions, peppers all those things that you want to typically grow outside, we were looking for building space that would allow us to do both. So, you know, that, that start, again, started out as a project. It started catching on. Neighborhoods started reaching out to us saying, here's vacant land, or how do we create something like brick gardens in our neighborhood? And then it, it basically turned into its own playbook <laughs> to kind of show neighborhoods and cities, like, if you have vacant land, vacant buildings and then you have an interested community these are ways to add economic impact at the same time kind of redeveloping that neighborhood in a more conscious way to where people in the neighborhood can still be a part of that redevelopment mm -hmm. so right now we're currently in five neighborhoods uh, we do have five locations and we are building out an eight acre farm in bond hill so that's oh, wow. the quickest that's, that's version of, of what Brick Gardens, yeah. So we, we've got that at St. Aloysius. Um, that's, it's gonna be a multi-year process, right? So we're looking to be finished with that. Um, we said five years, we're in year two now. 
Um, so this year, or actually next season, we'll be actually activating three of the eight acres that's located in Bond Hill. At that point, we'll become the biggest urban farm in the region, right? Wow. And, and the only one that I know of that does both indoor and outdoor farming, specifically mm -hmm. for food access and education. Dang, that's next level, man. That sounds so That's amazing. So, like, that technically, like, I feel like, I feel like that's like an essential business. Is it? Is it essential? Like, I well, we were allowed to to work, yeah. right? So you know, we did everything to make sure we were following state mandates and stuff like that during the pandemic, and we were actually listed as essential. So we were able to continue working, and we, you know, we did put our indoor programs on pause just because, again, we didn't know what we were dealing with with this pandemic, and we didn't want to have myself or my staff confined in these building space, right? Breathing mm -hmm. each other's oxygen. So we did focus a lot on all of our outdoor space this year, which, you know, and again, this is one of those things where I'm always cautious to say it because it sounds like I'm celebrating that, you know, this pandemic slowed things down for everyone. But, you know, somehow we were able to expand our locations in the middle of a pandemic. When we started in January, we were raising money for our Bond Hill location. Mm -hmm. And that was what the money was being raised for. You know, we've got eight acres to build out and we've only got three more years to do it. Right. So but again, the, the pandemic put all that on hold. Right. There was funding that dried up or that was taken back that we were counting on to be able to do that. But one of the things that we didn't see coming is the fact that, again, this showed everyone how broken the food system is. Not only that, it got people out of the house when they could be out in their own yards. Yeah. And this was the first year where we would go to Home Depot or Lowe's to get supplies, and there were no supplies. Everyone's now trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I grow my own food in case this happens again? Exactly. Right? So, you know, it's because of that, more neighborhoods were reaching out saying, hey, you know, we need something in our neighborhood. We don't know where to start we have this plot so that made it viable for us to then go out and sell ourselves in neighborhoods as a resource that's needed because now everyone can see how important it is to at least have access to food or fresh vegetables within your neighborhood when you can't leave without having to quarantine for two weeks right right so there was a lot of things that came from this that we didn't intend on happening we weren't planning to expand into four more locations this year but it happened and and now we know that it's something that's needed right so now mm -hmm. we just have to keep convincing people that once these things settle down this pandemic slows down that the food system's still broke yeah and we exactly. still need to work on fixing that yeah i mean i think that like you know for better or for worse i think you guys like it, it this was this is like a perfect time for you guys like um because like you know let's I think people's mind shift is kind of shifted. It's changing now. Like, you know, how people are always like making fun of those like doomsday preppers right. and people who are like, you know, getting ready for like the zombie apocalypse. And it's always been like a joke and things of that nature. But again, it goes back to that control. And now we realize that we don't have it. And it's, it's a testament to you and what you've been doing because you've been building it, not in preparation for this moment, but because this happened and you were already doing what you were doing, you were ready. And right. so like, and people now are shifting their their gears and their mindset to be a little bit more sustainable and to be able to, you know, grow their own food in their own backyard just in case like they can't leave anymore. Just like right. you were saying, 
And so this is like, I think that this is, um, I mean, it's not the future, it's now. I think that, you know, you're in a really, a really amazing position and it's awesome to hear that you're growing it. And so I wonder like, is this like, wh- like where does this idea come from? Like, did you, how did you get started this? Like, did you start out farming? Like what, are you from here? Like <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> None of the above. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I had a weird life growing up. You know, I, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And, and now Louisville, Kentucky is famous because of all the things that went on this summer or the one thing that went on this summer, right? So mm. um, growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, it was, you know, you can grow up in a, in a bubble even in that city, right? Um, I grew up on both economic lines, right? So, you know, I, 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 if anyone asked me, I would say I lived a somewhat privileged life. But that was only because of farming, right? Like, we didn't know. I never knew when we didn't have money because we always had food. Mm. So you wouldn't have been able to convince me that I didn't have everything I needed because the one thing you need is food, right? You can't do anything else if you're starving. Right. Um, So with that, you know, of course I hated farming because it's something my family did. Um, For me, it was something that... my siblings and I looked at as like a form of torture. It's like we wait all year for summer and then you're going to have us working on this hot farm <laughs> yeah. in the middle of Alabama in a heat, like a heat wave, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's summers. Exactly. So that, you know, that was how I grew up. And of course, you know, the first thing I thought was when I move away, I'm never touching dirt or any of that stuff again. Fast forward to. 10 years ago, I moved to Cincinnati, and I live right in the middle of over the Rhine, right? So, you know, there was nowhere to grow food, and mm-hmm. it was the one thing I missed every spring. It's like, I don't, where am I going to grow my tomatoes and peppers at, right? Yeah. Like, I didn't have any space. So, because of that, I started finding creative ways to grow something. If it was two or three plants, if I got one cucumber, one tomato, and a pepper, I felt like I had a successful grow season. But... You know, that was just for fun. It wasn't because, you know, I needed to grow food for myself. It relaxed me. Uh, When I was hungry, I just got in my car and drove to Newport, Kentucky, where there was that Super Kroger, and I would get whatever else I needed, right? Um, What prompted me to start doing this for other people is, you know, I would get in my car and go to Newport, but I lived right in between two Kroger buildings, and five blocks from the Kroger headquarters. Mm-hmm. And the two Krogers that I sat in between was Walnut Hills and Vine Street. Well, I never went to the Vine Street one unless it was like I needed a pack of batteries or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I would go yeah. get that, right? But, you know, the choices were not stuff any multi-million dollar organization should be okay putting in their stores for people, mm. right? So I wouldn't go there, but neither would the people that I lived with or lived around. So what I started seeing was people giving me grocery lists when I would drive to Newport or people asking me, well, how did you grow that in your backyard if all we have is concrete patios? Hmm. That turned into an idea of, well, you know, I can either keep going to the grocery store for people, which costs me money and time, or I can teach these people how to do what I did and then they can grow their own produce. And then that's a few, few more, less trips that I have to take across the bridge for other people right and you know one day 
once my street started figuring out that you know we could all grow our own stuff, it kind of became like its own little economy. There were people that were just better at growing cucumbers than I ever would be. But if mm. I had tomatoes and I could go trade my tomatoes for cucumbers, right? right? Or I could talk my neighbor into pickling cucumbers up and me having homemade pickles. So at that point, I thought, okay, I can make money off this, right? So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, everybody likes making money. I can create a job for myself. But at the end of the day, I'm going to enjoy the job because I'm actually able to give people something, right? Mm-hmm. You're either going to know how to grow food. You're going to start eating healthy if you know how to grow food or healthier. And it brings the community together. Like, yeah. So that's the small piece of it that you know we want to keep that kind of mirrors a community garden because we want to create something where the community comes out and sees it and knows it's for them mm-hmm. and doesn't look at it like, okay, well, that's not ours, right? It's pretty, there's food, but it's not for us. So, you know, I, I pitched it. I pitched an idea of converting vacant land into urban gardens and everyone said, no, that's too played out. We don't want more community gardens. Sure. Contact Civic Garden Center, right? That's mm-hmm. that's what you hear every time you want to grow food. So at that point, I just kind of started building more systems, right? These people that decided they weren't going to give me money for a played out idea decided that, okay, well, maybe he's on to something, right? Because now he's doing stuff indoors. And then that money came back. So that was, that was the point that we knew, okay, well, we do have something that is useful. And, mm-hmm. and again, the core reason we do it is because it makes us feel good. As, as weird as that sounds, I can't do anything for money if I don't feel good making that money, right? Yeah. So, you know, as we started getting better at growing, we started getting better at, you know, finding neighborhoods that were interested in something like this, then it, it kind of started to take care of itself. So that's when we decided at that point, about a year and a half in of just throwing darts and trying to figure out something that would stick, we decided we had a model that neighborhoods and cities could use. And then that's when we started really pushing to raise money to create an actual entity that we are now. Mm. And, and now like you're, and now like you're, you're exponentially growing. So I want to, I want to ask you, um, with thinking about towards like thinking about the beginnings that you've kind of come from you said you were helping the community grow their own food mm-hmm. and i'm assuming if correct me if i'm wrong i make the assumption that the community was mostly people of color um and within that community there's not really the the image or um, perception that we are farmers or we grow our own food. So was there any sort of like push or pull when you were um, working with people in that community? Like talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting because, you know, we, we all come from farmers, (laughs) you know, people of color come from someone. There's someone that you're related to that has farmed. Right. So it's it's in our blood. It's in our DNA. Uh, What's shocking to me is that we've gotten so far away from that, that we don't remember that Mm. that's in our DNA. So there was a a lot of pushback. And and to your first point, yes, if you look at any food desert in our city, it's going to correlate with people of color. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
that's what makes it a food desert. I mean, these grocery stores aren't pulling out of neighborhoods that aren't primarily right. white, right? <laughs> Those are the neighborhoods they're moving to. So, yeah. you know, there was a lot of pushback at first, not because people didn't think that they could or not because people didn't want to. It was because people have already been burned by this type of thing before. It, it's the point I was making earlier is, you know, if you look at any community garden, I'm going to give you one guess who the people are that probably started that community garden, right? And then what inevitably happens is they bring their resources, their, their friends and family in. So then all the vacant land that's easy to get are sitting in neighborhoods that predominantly people of color live in. But those aren't the people that have the access to the actual land, mm-hmm. right? So when you have a community garden pop up in your neighborhood and no one in that garden looks like you, half the people in that garden don't even live in your neighborhood, you're going to continue to walk right by that spot and assume that it's not for you. So the pushback was more of, so let us get this right. You're coming into this neighborhood and you're going to put something here for us. Right. That's where most of the pushback was coming. So, you know, the easiest way to combat that or the easiest way we found is we don't go into a neighborhood that we're not asked to be there. We will go into a neighborhood just to have a conversation because we don't know if we can help you, right? You know, so first and foremost, get rid of that mindset that we're gonna come into this neighborhood, we're gonna give you exactly what you need and you're gonna be better off because we're here. That's, that's not how you approach any situation like that, right? So we would go into these, we would look at neighborhoods, and the first indicator, is it a food desert? Yes, okay, then we wanna be there. Is there vacant land? Yes. Is there a community council? Is there a church that has, that's pretty much the backbone? Or is there a school that's the backbone of that neighborhood? You figure those things out, you go in and you talk to those people and you just talk, right? You yeah. ask questions. Where do you go to get your groceries? Mm-hmm. How hard is it to get there? Right? Do you have a vehicle? It's, it's things like that that make these people start asking those questions of themselves. Right? If you grow up always getting on the bus to go to the grocery store, you're not gonna you're not gonna tie that to any other issues. You're, well, this is just two hours out of my day that I have to get on the bus to go to the grocery store, and it's three blocks away. Yeah. Right? You don't think that that's a problem unless you're talking about it and you realize, well, you know what? I could spend that time doing something else or that's longer I could stay at work, more time I could spend with my children. You know, once you start picking that stuff apart, people will tell you what it is you have that they think is helpful. We grow food, that's it. We just wanna grow food. We wanna use that food as a way to give you a job and educate your community on why you need to eat healthy. Can any of that be helpful to you? If the answer is yes, that's the neighborhood we wanna be in. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's how we avoid that pushback. But at the same time, it takes time. Yeah. So you can't do it being a business that's going in transactional. It's got to be relationship. And you've got to spend your amount of time there before you make any amount of money. Yeah, that's like, that is like, I mean, neighborhood development one-on-one. All these people who are trying to take these new high rises and whatnot, who are kicking people out, displacing them. I mean, like, the, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't build community. It makes money, but um, it doesn't give anybody any power. And I think that, like, it's, 
as far as the people that are rooted into that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I think that the interesting thing about the way you're approaching is kind of similar to what I like to do when I approach to with my approach to community work is you just you just build a relationship first and you build trust Mm -hmm. um, and you you build trust from them to you, but also you to them and trusting that they are the experts of their neighborhoods and of their areas and like they know everything because they live there and i think what's so what's so essential about what you're doing is that one you're building that relationship and you're building that trust but you're also empowering black people to be better and be stronger and be more resourceful um which is something that um we need more of because like the we understand that this country and this place doesn't um like we, I mean, I, I've heard, I'm sure you may have heard it too, but like we always have to work 10 times harder than, you know, our white counterparts just right. to get to the same position. And I think that this, that what you're doing is like a helping hand to say like, hey, you are greater than the circumstances that you're in. You can get out of that. And it may seem as simple as like growing your own food, but that does a whole lot for a community. Right. And so I think that, um, uh, you are helping push forward the the boundaries through through the boundaries that were set upon us, and I think it's really awesome. So, just giving and, you your and flowers. All we have to do is <laughs> use what they've given us. Yeah. Right. It's like don't I I can't stand to hear when people say, "Well, I need to get out of this neighborhood." Well, you don't. Just mm-hmm. what do you want your neighborhood to look like? Once you figure that out, start there. What do you want your neighborhood to look like? And then find people in your neighborhood that want it to look the same as you. And I promise you, that conversation goes a lot further than anyone you go up to and talk about, well, I've just got to get out of this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and, and, I, and again, I think it's just a matter of us identifying, you know, well, what is it that we need? Because if we, if we identify that first and then we look around, we probably have it, yeah. right? There's things, there's always going to be roadblocks and barriers that we're naturally going to have to go through, right? Um, you know, for an example, it's like I want to go into a neighborhood that doesn't have a grocery store and I want to grow food for that neighborhood. You know, that could take weeks. That could mm-hmm. take months. That could take years to get the land bank or whoever has that plot, right, to, to even contact you back and yeah, say, exactly. well, what are you going to do with this land, right? But then you see other organizations. You know, there's a 100-year-old organization in this city that, that does community gardens, they don't have to ask for that land. They're literally just going to get it handed to them. And then guess what? They get to pop up another sign and say, look at what we've done in this neighborhood. But Mm -hmm. the only thing that really goes on is the sign, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, let's just be honest. Like the only thing that happens is the sign. And that's why when I get into a neighborhood, I have to spend months convincing people like, hey, it's going to be a lot more than a sign in here, right? So. You know, the, there's always those things that you're going to have to deal with. But but one thing I know for sure is that those that organization doesn't go anywhere near a neighborhood that already has that backbone. Yeah. Right. Because they're not going to let you come in and just put a sign up. They're not going to let you get that lot without them knowing about it. But you have to to put that neighborhood in the position to where they know they can do that. And, and it's as simple as having conversations at their community council meetings and right. stuff like that. So, you know, that's. As, as a black-owned organization that revolves around accessing land to grow food for people, it should not be that hard for us to find land to grow food for people. 
mm-hmm. because if we don't get it, what are you, what exactly are you saying? Right. Well, that's not important right now. And that, that's what I want to keep spreading the spotlight on, like keep showing that it's like, you know, we do have what we want, but there are certain programs and people and places that are put in place to make it a lot harder for us to do that. Yeah. Because if we start relying on ourselves, what's everybody else going to do? We yeah, know seriously. where our power's at. What's everybody else going to do if we actually figure out how to do it for ourselves? Mm-hmm. I think that you, um, man, just the, uh, just listening to the way you're speaking about this, it's so interesting that I, when I talk to a lot of um, other black folks who are kind of in, not even, they don't even have to be in positions of power or creative or whatever, just in general, when they speak about the lives and the things that they're doing or the things that they are pursuing, I, there's the, the the conversations are so much different um, than if I'm talking to like um, like a, another white person, for example, mm-hmm. because the the way that you speak about Brick Gardens and the impact that you want to put in the world, it's it's about it's about uh, empowering other people, and it's about the next generation, and it's about the generation after that. And a lot of what you're doing is informed and influenced by the generation before you. Right. And I think that the the interesting thing about what we do as black people is that we are living in in lives that are more than just for ourselves. Like everything that we do is about legacy. Like I think that um, in every day that I walk in, every room that I'm entering in, every meeting I go to, I present myself a certain way because of how I know the next person will be looked at when some they think about hiring like a black person right. or something. And I think about um, the lessons that my grandfather taught me because uh, he taught me to be, you know, for better or for worse, he taught me to, you know, button up, have manners, things of that nature. My parents did as well. But they, so I think when I enter a room, I'm also representing them as well. Right. And I think that um, that is such a... Um, uh, I feel that it's unique to our experience in our community um, that that has been a, a foundationally that has been something that I think is rooted into all of us is that we are here to represent the entire group, um, which is has its his pros and cons. But right. I think the way that you're speaking about it is really powerful, and it, it and it it just speaks to. Just, just the way that we are naturally geared to operate, and I don't see that anywhere else. Yeah, it's 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 a lonely island. Yeah, like I definitely feel like that. Um, and you know, to your point, that you know, look, we live in a world where people's minds are already made up about us, mm-hmm. right? Good or bad, right? We're we're grouped together regardless. So. We have to think about the whole group. Mm-hmm. We've not been given that choice to just think about ourselves. Like we know that if something happens, Brianna Taylor, I'm from Louisville. That's my sister. Like yeah. when when you are an implant somewhere else, the only thing that keeps you grounded is where you come from, right? I watched the entire summer my city burn, my city cry get angry, all types of stuff that at this age, I'm just now starting to question the city I came from, right? So that speaks back to that bubble that I feel like yeah. I lived in. But, you know, the interesting thing about all that stuff that's happened is we're still all grouped in. 
right? It's like if you're protesting, you're a thug, a looter, a rioter, or whatever, you know what I mean? And honestly, this was a summer full of protests that there was less people that looked like you and I protesting. 100%. But we're still getting grouped in with, with the negative side of things. Things are going to get broke. Things are going to burn. Things are going to get smashed when people are this angered. And I, I think that because we're always grouped in together that I have, the, I have an obligation to make sure that any positives that come from what Brick Gardens is doing shines on all the people that look like me because we need way more of that than we need what we've been getting our entire lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you, brought up, you brought up Louisville, and I was going to ask you about it. Um, did, you go, did you go visit Louisville? Have you been back since uh, any, like this year at all? You know, so I did, and, and I've gone back a few times here recently, um, more so just because I can't, I mean, I, I just, I don't know what I can do, but I felt like I had to be there. Right. Um, and, and if nothing else, being there meant, like, you know, I'm, I'm here because I could have easily stayed away. Um, in fact, people are always like, well, stay away. Mm-hmm. Don't come this weekend. Things are crazy, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like, no, that's, that's definitely why I'm going to be there. Because then how when, I, how when I come home and I look at my people, how are they going to look at me if I did stay away the whole time? Right. right? And, like, and, and again, it, it's, you, you wake up every day wanting to do more than you're doing. And a lot of times, I mean, I spent this entire summer angry, more so at myself, hmm. because I wasn't burning stuff down. You know, right. I wasn't flipping cars over. And, and that's why I was angry at myself, because there was nothing else I could think to do other than get out in the farm and grow food, right? Because I knew at least something was going to come from that that was going to be a positive. But I tell you what, I learned a lot about myself this year because, you know, if this had happened 10 years ago, with my mentality 10 years ago, I definitely would have been burning stuff and, and flipping cop cars over and stuff like that. What struck me this year, and, and, and the one thing that happened that that kind of put ease back at me was most of the people that I spoke to back home, the people that were affected by riots, business owners, friends of mine that you know have started their businesses just like I did. You know, they were in the middle of all that, all this stuff going on. They you know would wake up to a smashed window and things. And I had one friend. And this was a white person, and, and this person said to me, you know, they can smash my window again if it changes this mm. stuff. And at that point, I was like, okay, so the whole world ain't bad. <laughs> right. Right? There's still hope because I've, I've watched this person work for what they have. I also watched it get damaged. I also watched this person have to shut their doors because of the continuous protests that were going on. And for that person to say – burn it to the ground if it changes anything. That's, it's stuff like that that you have to search for. And if nothing else, I think that's why I kept going home was to hear someone say that. Mm-hmm. Because I, I spent a lot of time this summer just thinking the worst of everyone that didn't look like me. Yeah, that's, I, th- I think that's essential. That's essential right now is to, to get people who are also on our side. Because forever, I mean, to your point, like forever, it's just been, at least the way it's felt for me, it's like, 
black people are just angry. They're yelling, but nobody's li- nobody's really listening. Right. It's just like, oh, that's just how black people are. They're right. gonna keep talking about injustices and whatever. That's just what they do. But in order for us to move past and move beyond this and actually create some sort of impact and change, it's gonna take everybody. It's gonna take more than just us because one, we've been trying on our own for the most for the longest time. Right. Um, and it, it just again creates another cycle and. But I think now we have people who are listening. And so that's a really interesting perspective for you to 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 have someone say, like, you know what? I'm willing to lose something in order to make this happen. And that's what we need. We need soldiers and we need shooters out here right. who are just like not not real shooters, but, you know, <laughs> um, people who are riding with us. Obviously, they're not going to understand everything, every experience, but it's going to take a full freaking team right. to come up with action plans and to um, really build towards a better future and with the understanding that it's not going to be better during our lifetime like we're going to be pushing towards something I don't know for how long maybe forever but Mm -hmm. with the hope that it can be a little bit better next time around and that goes again to like understanding that we collectively I think we understand it you and I do um, that that we are building towards something greater than us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to take a collective effort for everyone to understand that we are building towards something that is not just going to be better for our individual lives. And so with that happening, you have to give, you have to give up some things from your perspective. And I Absolutely. think it's just going to take a willingness to be able to do that. And also patience because this stuff takes forever. So not to jump back, but I'll jump back. Growing up, you said you kind of lived in a little bit of a bubble. Um, were there any moments, like, like was farming common for you and your family, like, and people around you? Like, were other people doing it? Did you get teased? Like, what was that experience like? So I played sports, so I wasn't getting teased. Oh, and, yeah, you, know, you were good. And, and, when, <laughs> and when, you're in, when you come from a community, like, you know, Louisville's weird. It's a big area, but it's broken down into – neighborhoods I mean, yeah. and these are big neighborhoods right you can be in a neighborhood for a whole day and i know you never left right so you know in my community sports was everything so if you played on one of the two sport teams at our school you usually got left alone but one thing that you know we did get teased about is you know you, you have school lets out sometime in may um and then football practice starts in july Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, after Fourth of July, it's time to go back to football practice. You're at that field all day long. You have time to come home, shower, get on the phone with your girlfriend or whoever at the time. Yeah. And then you go to sleep and do it again the next day. That amount of time from May to July, we were shipped off to the farm. Mm. So our teasing would start because we didn't have a summer. It was basically like, okay, we know you guys are going to the farm. <laughs> okay. Don't come back looking 10 shades darker than you left type, that, that yeah, type yeah, of teasing, yeah. right? But other than that, I mean, you know, everybody knew what we did. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't remember really having to deal with any yeah. teasing situations around that. That's interesting, though. I think that you make a really good point. Like, sports adds a buffer. Like, I, I'll be honest. Like, when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I wouldn't say like a predominantly white school. I mean, it was probably like a third black, maybe even yeah. less than that. But um, I was an athlete, so I, I played basketball. I played football for a little bit. Um, I ended up stopping because like I didn't like it as much anymore, and I was having like back problems. But um, 
but I played basketball and that was kind of like, that was a buffer. So like, there's some racist things that kind of happened, you know, within that vein. But as far as like, you know, getting bullied and things of that nature growing up, like if you play sports and you're like fairly decent, it's so weird how that works because it's the same, It that never goes away. I think mm-hmm. even in, in our big, in the, on the big stage in professionals, like they have um, obviously we can go into it. We don't have to, but like, there's the whole like shut up and dribble type movement, things of that nature. But um, outside of that, I think athletes are somewhat glorified just because um, of their physical ability and just because of people's attachments. It's like a fetish towards like it's weird. It is, and and you know, if you're any good or if you play for a decent team, you know, my high school was, I mean we were definitely one of the better teams in the state, right? So it, it was one of those things where you just you were sheltered because that's all people focused on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, interesting enough, I mean, it's nowadays that I look back on my high school incidents and realize, well, that was 1,000% racist, mm-hmm. right? Like, I can't believe I didn't realize that. But because of sports, you know, everybody in the community is going to high-five you, hug you, love you, let you date their girlfriend, whatever. But yeah. there is always going to come a time where you're going to experience some form of racism, and it's just a matter of if, you, if it's overt, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. or if it's subtle. So a lot of the stuff that I dealt with, I didn't know I was dealing with it until I moved away yeah. and had to deal with more stuff, right, because I went from – a big city football player to Moorhead, Kentucky, right? Mm. There's nothing there but hills, cows, and and a lot of people that don't look like me. So that was really the, the first time that I got on a team where it was like, okay, yeah, but everybody is a superstar when you're in college, right? right. They came from some good high school or they were a good athlete in high school to even get here. So, okay, now you're on the same playing field as everyone else. There's a lot less people that look like you because of where you go to school. When you have to deal with people that went to little county schools and like suburb schools that didn't see any people of color. So now they're playing football with people that they're not used to. So you start to hear things that they grew up being able to say because they no one said that's racist, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the, obviously the first thing was, hey, did you go grow any watermelon this summer? <laughs> it's like, what the? Yeah. You know, like, I'm laughing, you start but hearing I understand. stuff like that. And the thing is, I hate watermelon. Mm. I, I hate watermelon. I've never liked it. But you know how long it took me to realize that people were shooting jabs at me because of that? And it's like, I had to hear somebody say it to my father one time, and my mother jump up and say, hold on. Like, yeah, he loves watermelon, but what the does that have to do with it? If he grew, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was, well, that was one of those times where I'm like, okay, wait. So then when I heard this, mm-hmm. that's what that was. Like, it, it was shot at me subtly, but I didn't, I didn't even know. So that, again, goes to this little bubble I grew up in because, you know, there was stuff going on like that. But, you know, I went to uh, – my neighborhood was probably 60-40, yeah. right? 60% white, 40% black, which you can't find that in a lot. You can't find that hardly anywhere. Yeah, so say, that's another it, thing. Like, I, I have to admit that – I didn't always see things the way they really are because of how lucky I was to end up in the area that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. But 
that blanket was snatched away as soon as I left, right? And I think it always does get snatched at some point. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and then, and interesting enough, it's like I have, when I look back on Facebook or Twitter or something now, I'm seeing all these people that call themselves my brothers when we're playing football or, you know, when we're winning games. I'm, I'm looking at my coaches that I call my second fathers and stuff like that. Some of the stuff they're saying on Facebook now, some of the – like, if you can support a president like we have right now, you do not need to be in control of young black men. 100%. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, I just now, a couple of weekends ago, had that reckoning with myself. Like, wait a minute. This is a guy that I'm seeing make these posts. And he's not taken into any consideration all the young black men that have come across this guy throughout his coaching career. And we're sitting here looking at some of the stuff you're saying. We're gonna, now we're getting angry. You yeah. know, we're angry again because, you know, say what you say, but we trusted you. You know what I mean? Our parents trusted you. Right. And the way you speak now doesn't seem like any parent should trust you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it's, it's been rough and, and it's, it's this last four years, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I don't even want to say I've lost so many friends because if I lost them, they weren't friends. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the hardest thing to deal with is it's, I call these people, my friends. And now I have to, to, to deal with myself for being able to trust people that way. And now look at it and like, okay, you know, what happens? What are these people going to say if something happens to me? You know, if something happens, if I'm just in the neighborhood and I catch a bullet, they're going to put me on the news and they're going to find every bad thing I've ever done in my life. And now I know that all these people I grew up with are probably going to be like, oh, you should have just listened to the cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, I've had conversations like that specifically, even specifically about the Trayvon Martin case. Mm-hmm. Like I had conversations to face to face where people were just like, well, what? It's they were basically blaming Trayvon Martin they're like yeah you should have just listened and I'm like nah you're, you're not hearing me but I think that that you, you bring up this last four years and I want to get your take on it because I think that as much pain and turmoil as people are going through now it has brought a certain light to a lot of the stuff that has always been there but mm-hmm. we just have tried to hide like like how does that feel to you like what do you think about like like that the fact that that has happened it's just really ruined my trust in humanity. Like, I don't trust anyone anymore, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you said something earlier when we were talking about needing allies. I don't trust them. Yeah. I don't trust them because I feel like these allies are more concerned with what the photo looks like, mm. right? It's like, did you get a photo of you holding up a BLM poster? You know what I mean? Because if you didn't, did it really happen? That's literally how I feel. It's like I had people coming to me this summer like, hey, do you want to go downtown and protest with me? I'm like, why? Because I'm not doing what I need to be doing if I'm going with you. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's, it's just it's, it's a horrible jug, juggling act because, yes, we need allies, but we also need those allies to understand that you showed up late. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You showed up way late. Facts. Black Lives Matter is not new. Mm-hmm. Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, all these, this stuff started years ago. We, we, we got the NFL saying it's okay to kneel. All these sports at, uh, organizations 
with the BLM tag around on the jerseys, around the players' arms. And, and honestly, I'm like, you're too late. Mm-hmm. Like, why should I trust that this isn't about an opportunity for you versus it being an opportunity for us? Mm-hmm. Like, now we got the whole world listening, but people are making money off of it. Right. And, and that's the thing that I'm just not going to trust, right? It's like the same people that I saw protesting this summer are the same people that weren't protesting when Trayvon Martin got killed or when Michael Brown got shot. Yeah. They were nowhere to be found. Or even what? Sam DeBose. And here. the stuff has always been right in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you said, you know, there is a good thing that, that it's shedding light on. It, it's because we got cell phones. Right. So thank you, Apple. <laughs> and, and all of these, because that's what, if anybody wants to get mad, get mad at the cell phone companies. Because without those cell phones, this stuff would have it, it just continued to make us think that things are changing. You know, we also fell asleep when Obama got elected because yeah. we thought, yay, nobody's yeah. racist anymore. They let a black man in the White House. Mm-hmm. This is a, the, the environment we're in now is directly tied to the fact that he spent eight years in it because now all of those people that were hiding under their white cloth or mm-hmm. whatever under their badges or whatever now they feel entitled to come out and make us pay for the eight years that they had to deal with and that's what that's what you're seeing right. so it's it's just it's one of those things where i i just can't i don't know how i'm gonna get that trust level back i i honestly don't want it back you know, I'm, I'm constantly going to think, OK, well, if you're out here, there's another motive for you and it's not us. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point. I, I think like, yeah, I, you know, the I, I try to I try to train myself to always look at some sort of bright side to whatever situation. But I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Like I'm I'm a little bit cautious, you know, and I think right. rightfully so, just because. This ain't new. Like, we've been through this, and we've, again, like I said, we've been talking about it. We've been telling y'all forever. Mm-hmm. We've been in pain, and we've gone through this cycle so many times. And now, and now because you want to be involved, now it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, I, you know, I have a question for the people who were protesting this summer. Where are you at now? Like, what, what happens after the protest? Exactly. Because the protest is to, to put things on watch and to put things on notice, but there are steps after that. That is not... That is not the work that you're putting in. I, I think they're back to protest and not wanting to wear their mask. I mean, this, and, and another thing we have to be careful about is, and I've seen this happen over the last couple of years, it's like we can't allow people to take over. Mm-hmm. Like what's happening is people are taking over the moment and then throwing all this other stuff in there. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we care about that. We care about that. But right now we're talking about we're tired of getting shot. We're tired of getting choked up by the cops. Like there's not a black person out there that sees a cop and doesn't instantly get butterflies in their stomach. And if you don't, you're naive, right? Because <laughs> that just might be your day. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, and that's the thing that, that I, I need these allies to understand is like, yeah, for three months you guys were out breaking stuff and we got blamed for it. But, you know you were out there but guess what it's this is the time we need you mm-hmm. we didn't need you in the summer we were going to take care of that ourselves we need you now that all this is, is slowed down yeah. right remember we still have to deal with with the idea that police don't like us mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so anytime we see them 
we get nerd, we straighten right up, right? Even oh, when yeah. we're not doing anything, we straighten right up. Like yep. you start thinking about, damn, do they know I took that candy bar when I was four? Yeah, like, I know, know, yeah. You just start thinking about all that, and then you have to remind yourself, well, wait, I'm not doing anything. But that doesn't matter. And that's what I need the allies to understand. It's like, if you don't go somewhere and instantly get nervous just because of the way you look, we don't need you. Yep. I think about that all the time. Even when I'm driving, I'm like, wait, is my tail light out? Is my car too <laughs> right. nice? Like, what? You got to think about, is my tail light out? Because guess what? I have been pulled over because the cop said, well, I couldn't see your license plate because the light's out. Yeah. I'm like, my car doesn't even have a light. <laughs> but the thing about it is, at that moment, I'm like, okay, well, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? I got my ticket. I get home the next day. It's daylight. I'm like, I'm like there's no light there. Mm-hmm. So how do I get a ticket? Because the car manufacturer didn't put a light next to the license plate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we don't have the the ability to think like that. We don't have the ability to be like, like, oh, seriously, you're gonna pull me over because my life? like I've seen yeah, especially do in the that, moment, right? And yeah. it's like, well, we can't do that. Yeah. And, and until you, we can do that, keep your asses out here marching. Sorry. You you hit it right on the head, and I think that what I've been trying to do. I think I've said this multiple times, even on another a previous episode of this podcast, where I'm trying to change the language. In, in, in going away from using the word ally, I haven't really found a great word for it yet. Um, but I, right now I've been using like co-conspirator. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But well, that's yeah. too close to co-op, which is what they basically do to all of our movements, Ex- right? Yeah, it's exactly. Like- so I don't know. I don't have the language for it yet. But I, I really think that allyship is too weak. It's a soft word. And it just, it's... Because it, it suggests again, it's, it it suggests that you can, you can impact from a distance, right? Like or jump in and out whenever you want to. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So if the water's too cold, I'm not gonna get in this time. Like it's right. one of those things for sure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know what word you call it. I mean, right now, I don't think that it's strong enough to even put a word on it. Yeah. Right. It is what it is. It's like you know, some some friends showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just show up. Be a human. Like that's you know. <laughs> If you really care about all these other causes, let's be real. Like, there's so many other causes that people are out fighting and, you know, protesting and wearing all this stuff for. Like, do the same for us, too, all the time, you know? So, but, but, and and we're talking a lot about kind of the issues that are kind of going on um, with the current movement. But I I wonder, I I wonder from your perspective, like, is there any sort of um, thing that, that we can do as black black people individually or collectively as a group to kind of to kind of move beyond a lot of this stuff or to to potentially help other people like what can we do obviously we've been working our entire lives Mm -hmm. and so we are exhausted we're tired but um and a lot of these experiences and these things that you're bringing up and the things that i've gone through in my life are um they're painful and they're things that you kind of don't want to revisit and they hurt but how do we continue to move forward through some of these things? Do you have any, like, like what do you think, man? You know, I think it's, it's so, the problem is so big and deep-rooted that we have to keep the gas on change. And, and when I say change, I'm not just talking, I mean, it, it's got to start at the top. It's like, we definitely need to start, like, you know, let's not wait and riot and protest when someone loses their life. Let's protest right now that we only get one month to learn our history and it's watered down to us. Mm -hmm. If we force people 
to teach us, like, why is there Black History Month? Why don't we learn about it all year long like we learn about every other white person that's come before us in this country all year long? Why don't we do that, right? It's like, it's, it's so aggravating that, because I, I think if it starts there, one, you're forcing the people that are teaching it to learn, mm-hmm. right? Okay, well, I need to change my way of thinking because I didn't know this. I didn't get it in school, and now I'm a teacher, and I'm definitely not teaching it. Yeah. Right? It took an HBO series to get black people to understand about what happened in Tulsa. Then white people started figuring out. And every time I heard or saw somebody say, oh, I can't believe that happened, I got angry because I'm like, why don't you know? Like, I had a father that, that taught me all this stuff, you know what I mean? And, and I thought it was weird that I wasn't getting it anywhere else, but why does it take some form of entertainment to get people to start learning stuff that we should have known anyway? I mean, if you know, you're gonna do things differently. If you don't know, you're gonna continue to do the same. Yeah. And, and I think that sometimes we get lost in what we're actually trying to get. And like I said, like, let's not just protest when someone loses their life. Let's, we need to be protesting every single day. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be something that's gonna better life for people that look like us. And that has to start with education. First and foremost, like everybody needs to be educated. So I really don't think we're gonna be able to get anything done until whoever is in charge of figuring out how that comes through the school system whether it private school, city-funded school, or whatever, growing food and the history of how black people have been treated in this country needs to be taught all year around for our people to have a leg up. Yeah. Or not even a leg up, just a level playing field. Just be on the same plane, yeah. I mean, you're right. It is, it's always education because, again, it's, it's, it's more than just what we're doing now. It's to help the betterment of the future generations and for them to be able to be equipped to teach the people after us. And I think that, like, there's so many different ways to educate. I mean, I think you're, a, a form of what you're doing is, is actually, it's not even a form. It is education, mm-hmm. like, just in a non, non-traditional, non-school setting. Like, right. I think that, that what you're doing is, is equipping us for you know generations beyond what we're doing now which is helpful and but i think yeah back to the schooling like i think that in order to do that we need to, we almost need a gut we got to gut everything mm-hmm. i've always believed that like we got to gut everything in the education system like in our in our laws like everything needs to just start fresh because everything we're doing is rooted on racism yeah. and that's not news to anybody anymore but um like the only way you can't like patch it up or get band-aids and just like you know update your lesson plan and (laughs) add like one or two extra books you have to start over and I mean for a country that has been here to be honest we're not even that that old you know when you think about it we (laughs) every empire that's ever lasted it's like we're still the youngest one yeah and it's like we're I feel like our shelf life isn't going to be as long as some of these (laughs) other empires that have led the way throughout the years it's like you know we're definitely on that end of where and that's another thing that happened this summer where this was the first time where I was like okay there's multiple cities burning right now Mm -hmm. this might be the reset yeah so every time it would slow down I was kind of silently sitting back like 
keep burning and keep burning. Because <laughs> if we don't, like, that's what I'm saying. We have the momentum now. Right. Why would we slow down at all? Let's start standing in front of every single courthouse and say, the laws ain't working. Mm-hmm. Like, first, let all of the people of color out of jail that you put in for selling weed. They'll talk like, about I that. I mean, think about all this stuff, man. It's like, let's just start there. They keep mm-hmm. talking about prison reform. Hey, here's one. Let everybody out yeah, that y'all just, put in there for selling weed. Yep. Let everybody out that you put in there for selling drugs, period. Because guess what? Kentucky hates heroin. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. like, you know, they're, they're not sending these heroin dealers in for life over there. Mm-mm. You know yeah. what I mean? So, it's like, it definitely school courthouse and then quite honestly health care yeah right i mean i don't I, and and i honestly feel like these are things that we should still be filling the streets with now and threatening to burn stuff down because again like that stuff hasn't changed in our entire lifetime mm-hmm. and it's never going to benefit us if we don't start forcing some type of change but we just get lost in the battle sometimes you know what i mean like, yeah i think we get lost and also like i feel like um, I mean, it's been like this for me in the past and even a little bit now, like once you get, again, once you start or get beyond the protest phase, that's when the real work starts. Exactly. And people don't know where to go after right. that. Like one, because I think a big part is because they haven't been shown and there are not people in those positions to help pull them up right. and bring their hand in to say like, hey, if you really want to make an impact here, here's here's where you can go for education. Here's where you can go for like city government things right. like there's there's um the information's there but i think it's challenging for people um especially black people to have access to that or even let's let's even go even deeper to even have the time to even think about that exactly. because the stuff you were talking about earlier like there are different levels of struggle as far as um we're focused on trying to get our bare necessities figured exactly. out how are we going to try to figure out what's happening in the next generation if we can't even figure out what's happening in the, at the end of the week. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's so that's so true because it's like, you know, and, and even deeper than that, I mean, as an entrepreneur, that is something that always just boggles my mind is, you know, I spent a good portion of the early part of the year trying to raise money, right, to keep this thing going. And every person that I sat in front of was white. Um, so there was one black investor that I met with out of maybe 50, Mm. right? One black investor. So, you know, the thing that would, would show me that there's such a disconnect is just the conversations that I would have with these potential investors. It's like, well, we think you need to spend this first round of raising money doing like family and friends and stuff like that. I'm like, do you know how most of the black families are set up? It's like, I believe that my family would love to support me, but you're telling me to raise money through family and friends. That's not a luxury that we have. I can't yeah. go to my aunt, my uncle, my dad and say, hey, give me 20 grand so I can start this business. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole, like, <laughs> there's all these people out there that have this mindset that that's how easy it is to be an entrepreneur. And it's like, well, that's not how easy it is for a black entrepreneur. Yeah. Right. In addition to that, then we got to prove to you 15 times that we actually know what we're doing and that we're actually going to pull it Mm, off before you give us that first cent. And then we have to make you feel good about giving us that cent in order to get another one. So like right now, I can't name any of these people because they may give me money down the road. 
And that's mm. something that I'm always going to be envious of, of like some people I know that are entrepreneurs and they have literally told these funders exactly what they think about them. And I'm just sitting back like, yeah. right? Because it's like, I've given, I've made myself obligated to the people of these communities. So now I have to put up with stuff that a person that is white doing the same business as me is not even going to have to worry about, but I have to worry about that. So there, and, and it's like, it just goes to show you how much people out there don't understand that no matter what we do, it's going to be five, 10 times harder than anybody else. Right. Yeah. Do you think that that'll ever go away? I don't think so. Mm. And maybe that's just, you know, the cynical part of me, but I don't think so. Um, that's what this country was founded on. Yeah. Right. It's like, and another thing that I think it, it makes these demographics that I'm speaking about uncomfortable. Right. I mean, you know, we brought up Tulsa thriving community, right? What did they do? They got rid of it. And it's kind of, you know, not nowhere near on that level, but it's like what I'm doing is constantly put up or mirrored against other organizations that aren't doing half of what we're doing, but because of the people that are in the leadership roles, they get in 15 more doors than I can get in. We're all asking for the same money, mm -hmm. but I'm going to have to actually do the project before I get the money, whereas these other organizations get the money first, and then they just decide, oh, okay, well, we're going to go put that sign up. Yeah. Mm. That, like, that sums it up, man. That sums it up. Like, people are not understanding of the different ways that that racism can hit and the way that it can look. It's not just police brutality, getting it's killed. everything that we have to deal with when we wake up in the morning. And I understand that they're probably just tired of hearing it. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? But we're tired of living it. <laughs> So I get Thanks. it. I'm sorry you have to keep hearing about the the plight that we deal with, but we have to deal with it every day. And if if you if there's any compassion in you whatsoever, you would understand that. And at the very least, you're gonna let us keep talking about it. If you can't do anything else, let us just talk about it. That's that's facts. I would yeah. So I think that, and I want to not be so cynical and depressing because I know both of us have been going back and forth. What are, what's some things you're excited about? You know what? We, we added four locations in the middle of a pandemic. There are people that are going out buying up all the supplies out of Home Depot and Lowe's. And honestly, I mean, that's what we want. You know, now I would like to be able to go to Home Depot and Lowe's and say, okay, well, how many people coming here and buying up all this stuff look like me because that'll make me feel really good if a lot of them look like me because those that's who I'm worried about, right? I know everybody, there's all types of people that have hunger issues and we're there for all of those people. But I'm starting in the neighborhoods with people that look like me and have been hungry before because I know what that's like, you know, mm -hmm. not because I, again, not because I didn't have what I needed, but you know, as a youngster, you put yourself in situations sometimes that you don't want to ask for help to get out of. So there were times I put myself in situations where I didn't know if I was going to eat, but guess what? I still had a garden and I knew at the very least I was going to get whatever was out there. Yeah. So I'm definitely excited about the fact that people are starting to understand how important it is 
to know how to grow your own food. I'm also excited about the fact that people know the food system is broken because now that people know, there's going to be a lot more interest in getting it fixed. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So those things are exciting. And I think that if we have an actual season in 2021 that's not bogged down by a pandemic, then I think the sky's the limit for us. And I think that pretty soon we're going to get to a situation where it's not just Cincinnati, but we're in multiple cities. And the idea of a brick gardens is what's circulating, not necessarily the, I mean, because the product is a way of life, right? So we have to sell people on a way of life. And that's harder than selling something that they can actually hold, right? But if we get them in there, then eventually they're going to get something they can hold. And that's what we look forward to. Yeah, I think that like, like I said, this could be, you know, this is a pretty essential year for you. And I think that the sky's the limit and I, you know, I just am excited to just see it continue to progress because it's, it's going to empower so many, so many black folks, so many black and brown people in ways that they didn't even understand in even ways that we don't even understand. And so I hope so, man. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, our, our goal is to not be married to the, the solution, but mm-hmm. married to the problem. Yeah. Cause the problem, you know, there's multiple solutions that we can come up with. So, you know, we, we definitely pride ourselves on the fact that, you know, our first goal is to feed people. Mm-hmm. How we do that doesn't matter to us. Right. Um, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm super hyped and, and proud that you're leading this movement. Thank you. And so before we leave, um, one thing I do like to ask is uh, there's like a recommendation section that I'm putting into all these podcasts. So <laughs> right. anything that you are finding has been useful for you during this time, it could be like a book, it could be a movie, it could be music, it could be about the things that we discussed, or it could just be about whatever. What is it that you're, what are you digging right now? You know, I was fortunate this year because, you know, when times got really stressful or I got really tired of just sitting in my place looking at the walls, I had my farms to go to. Mm -hmm. I would just tell people to take this opportunity, and I know it's getting late in the year and stuff like that, but go enjoy the outdoors, even if it's in your own backyard. I mean, just take time to be outside and think because right now we can't do so many other things. Take advantage of all the time we have to think, because I think that's where people start finding out about themselves, because I know I did. I know next year there's so many things that I'm going to be able to live without because I wasn't able to live with them this year. And it just showed me that I didn't need them in the first place. Mm. So I think people need to take advantage of the situation we're in currently because it, it, you know, the world stopped and said, hey, everybody slow down and just think yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I would agree with that to be honest like I actually picked up outdoor activities due to the pandemic um I've been like doing with my girlfriend like small we've been taking like small camping trips like here and there and like before this I never would have done it but it's been the most like um enjoyable and important times of uh both of our lives but just like my just entirely just just because you get a moment like you say you just get a moment to think which you never had before. And, and you know what? And that's the thing. I'm like, the, the world gave us all an opportunity to. So I hope that more people use that than not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then one thing that I would want to add is kind of random um, as far as recommendations. Have you ever seen, um, we're talking about being outdoors and now I'm talking about watching something. But have you, have you ever seen the series Woke? 
It's a Hulu yeah, series. I started watching that. That's pretty Thursday. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I I watched it not too long ago, and a lot of what you were talking about um, earlier kind of reminded me of it. Yeah. Um, just about like how he was kind of uh, the artist. Uh, it was like kind of in the bubble for just a minute, didn't know. and he right. just didn't know, or he was avoiding it or something. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that that kind of um, lived that way, and it's not for right or for wrong. It's not right or wrong, but I feel like. And for those listening, you have to watch it too. But you always come to the realization that, oh, you are an other. Like there's always, I think, that moment, no matter how long or how how uh, often you try to kind of put right. it off or avoid it or blend in, like there's, there's always- Someone's going to remind you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The minute you forget, someone's going to put you back in your place. And, that, and that's so true of everything. It's like, just remember, you're still black. <laughs> You know what I mean? And we yeah. both know that no matter what we do in life, nobody's going to trade places with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to trade with nobody else. Well, neither would I. Yeah. I like what I am. I like who I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that everything I do means something. Like, it's funny. It's like it's like the more, you know, and I, I, I don't know how to measure success because I'm one of those people that is a slight perfectionist. So I don't know how to to be able to say, well, yeah, we're successful. It's like, if I get up and I have a job to go to, that's success, right? So, but no matter what, man, it's like, I can scream all day long about, well, we've got all these locations. We grew 5,000 pounds of food this year, and it's not gonna matter to certain people. And those certain people sometimes have what you need. Mm-hmm. And that that's just something that, you know, I. I'm where I'm at because I've had to work yeah, exactly. for everything. So if practice makes perfect. So, you know, I don't want anything that's easy. I feel it. All right, man. Well, that's it, man. That's all I got for you. Anything else you want to add? No, it's great, man. I enjoyed talking to you today. It was definitely good catching up with you. It's been a while since we've seen each other, but this was this was a, a nice little therapy session that I didn't know I needed. So I appreciate <laughs> you for sure. Yo. Shout out to Dom, man, one more time. That that was a really great conversation. And we both got on our bag a little bit in that one. Also, shout out to Brick Gardens, man. They got a lot of great stuff going on in the community. Feel free to get them a follow. Look them up on the website, brickgardens.com. Um, and just join in, volunteer. They got a lot of amazing things going on. And we couldn't hit all of them today. But just go ahead and find it for yourself. I'll leave some more descriptive notes on where to find them in the show notes. On the topic of shout outs, I want to shout out the library. Uh, y'all were really generous in offering a space to us. Y'all probably heard a couple of the librarians in the background too. But anyway, yeah, they were really amazing. Let us use a, a nice quiet space in the middle of a pandemic. So uh, I am super grateful to them. Once again, shout out to our sponsor, Anchor. And a special shout out to you guys, the listeners. You guys are really important to me, and your feedback is crucial. So let me know what you think about the podcast. How you liking the episodes? Who do you want to hear from? Even if you want to be a part of the podcast, let me know. Just shoot me an email, DM me. You can find me on social media at Savvy Oso, S-A-V-V-Y-O-S-O. You can follow the podcast at Tim's Pod, T-I-M-S-P-O-D. Or you can email me at whatsupasa at gmail.com. W-H-A-T-S-U-P-A-S-A at Gmail. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to spell it in my head. I was having a hard time. 
Also, if you're taking anything away from any of these episodes, any ahas, anything, share these with your friends. You don't want to keep all the good stuff to yourself, right? It helps me and it helps you. This is the last episode of the year. Finally, 2020, man. It's been crazy, huh? I just want to say I hope you guys enjoy the holidays. But before I go, let me remind you guys that none of us have any idea what we're doing. We just become better actors. And with that, I pray that y'all stay safe. Peace.